This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Lisa. And I'm Kara. And you guys know what we do here. We talk about an episode of SVU. We talk about the true crime it was based on. And we interview an actor from the episode. And we chit-chat with each other. But one of the first things we want to talk about is to tell you guys that in June, we're going to be back out on the road, babies. We're doing some random little smattering of shows in June. We're going to be at Cobbs in San Francisco on June 8th. That's a Thursday. We're going to be um, in Tempe, Arizona, back at the Tempe Improv on June 15th. Sorry, that's June 15th, 1-5. And that's another Thursday. And then we'll be back at Denver Comedy Works, one of our first live shows. Excited to be back on uh, June 25th. So that's a Sunday night. And guys, please come see us. Get tickets. Text us. Message us on on when you get tickets because I love to hear that people are coming. And... um. Yeah, we're so excited to see you guys all back um, at the Sasha Colby meet and greet. I mean, we do meet people after our shows. We play fun games. Like, we will tell you in advance what episode we're doing so you can watch along. It's kind of like the podcast, but with all this extra fun stuff. And we do PowerPoint. And yeah, just in case you haven't come to see us before, or if you have come to see us before, we have different merch. Come see us. And Lisa, anything to add? Oh, I'm going to be doing stand-up in Denver, too, or some of those dates. So check around the calendar. I really can't. <laughs> I can't keep it together. The world's asking too much of us. I The internet's too much. It's just too much. Yeah, yeah. All I these know. videos, all this here, look at me there, buy a <laughs> ticket there. Like, how did we used Drop to do it before? <laughs> yeah, people, someone wrote... What what more information from Denver? Fucking Google it. I, yeah. I don't know. Google it. Yeah. When I used to try to find concerts, I wasn't, I, I didn't have direct communication with the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> I'm not comparing us, but like, but geez. If you want tickets for any of our live shows, you I can message to mention, Kara. <laughs> you can message me directly, but they're also at that'smessedoplive.com. That's where all of our stuff is. They're at the link in our bio on Instagram or that's messed up live.com has ticket links to all these individual shows and check all the calendars like for Lisa's stand up too. Cause she's will be at Denver comedy works around the same time that we're there as well. And that will be fun. What else? Oh, so we can talk about drag race. If you haven't watched season 15 of drag race, I don't know. Fast forward. We're going to talk about who won. But yeah, it made sense. I think we're all happy as a community and yeah. that's everyone. I think all the queens are happy. We're all happy. That's I'm actually nice. like, I was, I was team Anitra, but I'm so happy for Sasha and I knew it would be Sasha. And I'm actually excited because that means we probably get to see Anitra on an All-Stars and she's really fantastic. And I think with like even more confidence from winning, she's going to be like amazing on an All-Stars, you know? Yeah, Sasha has that extra star, sexy twinkle in her eye that just... You can't fake. You can't fake experience. You can't fake that stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? There's just, what is that French word? Je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. She's got it. 
she's got something that none of you have. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, the way she just works the camera and looks into my soul is something Like, even that, the other no. queens are like, I'm in love with, like, I think I have a crush on her. Like, they, like, are, everyone's obsessed. Like, when even she, her competition. Her performance, there's just a level of artistry that is um, a foot above the rest. I don't think I can remember like a time where somebody just sailed through the competition with like no lip syncs, never being in the bottom, pretty flawless, all runways, all performances. Like I can't remember somebody who just like, well, no one even, even talks shit. No one ever talks shit. That's the thing too. Cause I can think of other people that were really good, but you like, or avoided the bottom too even, but there's drummer. They're not that good at makeup. Because I was thinking Bob, yes. but then he was in the bottom two that like, um, you know, against Derek Barry for the Sylvester song. The book, yeah. The, but, you know, it's uh, a professional, never mad at a part, could do comedy, you know, just like nice to everyone, no competitive nature. Well, competitive, obviously, Miss Continental, but like... Competing against yourself more, yes. I would say. Yeah, just yeah. No, no shade really in a negative way, but funny and confident, but not arrogant. I mean, truly a professional shining star that I was happy to be on my TV week after week. Yeah. Thrilled. And I loved everyone else, but like Mistress and Lux looking so upset at the finale, it's like, that's the true drag delusion. Are you out yeah. of your minds? Yeah. You thought you were being, you were going to be in the top two. Take your top four, bow, smile, and call it a day. The, yeah. The look of sadness on their faces, I was like, wait, you didn't, you didn't you really. You guys didn't think. <laughs> you didn't think what? you. Not, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I don't know what it's like to have that kind of confidence where you just like are delusional. But a lot of these queens do. But when we're talking about no shade and something we enjoyed watching our television on our television screens, I'd like to segue into something that I truly disliked watching on my television. I flew on Delta recently and I decided to watch this movie because it had an all-star cast. It looked, it had the sheen of Nancy Myers. It was not a Nancy Myers movie, but it had a Nancy Myers sheen on it with the poster. It was Diane Keaton, Nancy Myers' muse. It's Richard Gere. It's William H. Macy. And it's Shan uh, Susan Sarandon, as well as Emma Roberts. And it's called Maybe I Do. And I watched this movie and I was like, I watched it on American. I took an American flight, honestly. And I had to watch it on my cell phone. And I was like, whatever, I'll watch this. And I kept going, is this terrible? Like, nobody talks like this. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I guess it was adapted from a play and it doesn't seem like they did any adapting. I felt like I was watching a play in that weird way where in a play, you can kind of accept people talking in monologues for a long time in a way that you don't in movies because it's like not real life. And because oh it was my so God. bad that you can't even sleep to it. Like that's how bad it was. It was so jarringly upsetting that you couldn't even be lulled. It wasn't a yeah. lullaby bad. It was like uncomfortable, horrible. Like what does someone have on these actors? Whose cousin is this? What is this? Did you finish it? Um, I don't think, I think I had to turn it off, but Michael Kostroff, yeah. that's what, that was exciting. I took a photo yeah, of Michael Yeah, we Kostruff. did see Michael Kostroff in a funny Former scene. Former guest. 
he he stole his little scene that he had. He was like a, a motel owner when people are trying to check into like a seedy hourly motel. But I ended up on Delta on my way home and was like, you know what? I didn't get to finish. I only got to the part where they talked about this big dinner that's like the centerpiece of the movie. I was like, I'll just keep watching and see what happens at the dinner. And I literally turned it off and I never turn movies off Dude, almost ever. Like this writer is cool. This writer, director created the show, The Dinosaurs. Oh my God. Not the baby, uh, not the mama. Yeah. And he created and wrote Boy Meets World. Well, I think the problem is he needs to stay with kid shit because when he tried to do something that was adult, it was like painful. It's people talking about love nonstop with nothing concrete, just bullshit word salad talking about love. And I was like, what's even going on here? Like basically the main couple in the movie is like the girl's like, marry me or we're breaking up, which is like one of the dumbest ultimatums. I hate it so much. But like, if that's what your girlfriend wants and that's not what you want, I guess you do have to break up. But like, let's talk about why you don't want it. Like, he just keeps being like, we're us. Like, what's wrong with us just being us? And like, it's they such have no chemistry. fucking zero chemistry. They kept acting like, I don't know. And then she just, like, Emma Roberts is a great actress, I feel like. I love her in Coven. I like her in other stuff she's done. And in this, she's just like, Mom, you told me I would never be a ballerina. It's like, are you 30? Why the fuck do you care that you're not a ballerina anymore? Like her childhood bedroom still has ballerina posters in it. Like it's the, oh my God, I could go on about this movie for fucking ever. It was so like, it's, it's, it's so like, not to mention the plot is like pretty preposterous, like in general, but then just all of like, I, in this movie that I love called Playing by Heart with Angelina Jolie, and Ryan Phillippe and all these famous people. It's one of those ensemble movies where they're all woven together at the end. She says to his character, her character says to his character, talking about love is like dancing about architecture. Like, I just don't want to see a movie where people are just talking about love for hours on end. It's too boring and it doesn't make any sense or resonate with anyone if you're not talking about actual experiences or anything specific. Well, that's crazy. what Love is Blind is, honestly. But it is um, interesting because they're all delusional. And so maybe that's <laughs> what makes it great. Because the whole point about Love is Blind is they're trying to convince themselves and the audience that the love that they have created within a week to two weeks, not seeing each other in these pods, is more real than anything that anyone has ever experienced <laughs> on the planet. And so that is why them discussing it is so fantastic because they're trying to diminish everyone else's love and why yeah. theirs is better. My favorite is it's one of the girls' wedding days and she's sitting with, you know, her friends and family in her bridal suite. And she goes, it's just so pure because I didn't have any friends or family, like none of your influence. It was purely what I believed. And it's like, what a rude thing to say <sighs> to the people who love you. If I had let you guys meet him in advance, you probably would have ruined it. Like, that's essentially, like... It's just such a weird thing to say. And it's saying that, like, all of your love isn't as pure because you have outside influence. It's just, like, it, it is That's such a classic talking yourself into it thing, though. That's a classic talking yourself into a thing. And then when it doesn't work out, who's to blame? Only you. Like, you can't look around and say, like, why didn't any of you guys give me the red flags? Like, you know, you're solely responsible for the failure if this doesn't work out. 
Yeah, but just in general, when you're trying to... Yeah, you're right. It's a classic thing of, like, why yours is more real is, like... Yeah. So silly to me. I did like in the Love is Blind reunion, I know you're not watching. What I did like was some of the people were like, even they were like, you have to forgive us because it's a really crazy experience. And you like people that were wronged were really advocating forgiveness to the psychopaths because they're like, listen, it's a really fucked up thing we're going through and please be nicer to us. Like, they were all really kind, kind of, to each other in terms yeah. of, like, yeah, we all did weird things. It's a weird experience we went through. So I kind of liked that in yeah. terms of... Well, anyway, don't be fooled by the fucking the rocks whites that I got. And, yeah, don't be fooled by the rocks that Diane Keaton's got or, like, that by the, the you know, cream-colored interior design that makes you think it's a Nancy Myers movie because Maybe I Do is one of the worst movies I've fucking ever seen in my life. Um, it was really, really bad because sometimes on a plane, you want a bad movie. You want something that's just like yeah. simple, easy, predictable, fine that you can be in and out of. You can, yeah. like, that is perfect. Well, speaking of, I finally watched M3 again on the plane on another flight and I loved it. I thought it was so fun. It's so fun. It's my perfect horror movie too because there's barely any like, there's scariness and there's like murder, but there's not gore, you know? There's like one sighting of blood really. Like it's just not that bloody. Well, no, there are a couple. There's a couple gory things, but like it's not that bad. I Yeah, I'm just not anti-gore, but it is really, <laughs> it sounds like Al Gore. Um, wait, I went to a Dodgers game yesterday. I heard. How did you hear? From was, the wife of the person you went with. Oh, that's so funny. It was only decided like so last minute. That's so funny. But it was, I really love LA baseball fans. I love Dodger fans. Yeah. Outside of the stadium and everything, but like these are great fans, great people, great vibe, great vendors. Like even the cops are kind of chill. Like, yeah. I probably not for everyone. So, so you know, but even yes. Like, I just really love the vibe of, and I've not, maybe other sports are great here too, but I love LA baseball. No, I I have a great time. And I actually, my kids aren't ready, but I do want to go like really, I want to go without them, but then I want to take them eventually when they're old enough. But I think it's really fun. I agree. And like, I'm not a huge sports person, but I love how everybody feels like they're having fun. Like they're not like screaming at the players. Like they could fucking do better. Like, I don't know. I just like, I I really like families. It was Hello Kitty night, which I wish I knew. I would have gotten there earlier. Oh my God. I would have wanted the giveaway, but I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. But there was a lot of Hello Kitty kids. And they keep us entertained. Like, they play the Lion King music, the Simba reveal, and then people hold their babies up for the Jumbotron. Oh, my God, that's cute. <laughs> it's really cute. That's it's really, really cute. Um, I'm, I took Rosie to the Lion King. Have we talked about it? No, not yet. Not yet. But I also wanted to say, also when um, the gameplay, I don't know how I feel about the pitching clock and the, the time, the new rules. I don't know how I feel. I don't know what any of that have. means. I just heard that it makes it, the, makes the baseball games shorter and so they have less time to sell beer. So now they're selling beer longer at shows. I mean, at shows, at games. I, sports psych, I mean, they, they're doing their own thing. Everyone will get used to it. I think it's un-American, but 
I will deal with it. But there, it does create more drama for sure. There was like, there was honestly it was like a, two amazing teams playing that I don't give a shit about. So to yeah. me, I was like relaxed, excited, just into the gameplay, watching families, enjoying their lives. No one's rushing. I don't know. Like I just am like, I, it was just like a glorious, glorious, relaxing evening. I love that. And it was a nice night. And I would go at any time. No, but yeah, I don't go. think, I don't know if you're, yeah, we will go without the kids. No, 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 no. I'm just saying I feel like it's a fun thing to bring your family to, but like my kids are years away from it. I mean, oh my God. Oscar won't stop waking up at five in the morning. It's killing me. Um, But I did take Rosie oh, yeah, to wait, Lion the King. The bed, the bed is now open and he is. Well, no. I didn't move him to the bed. Okay, so if anyone doesn't know what's going on, I am transitioning my children into bunk beds. Rosie last night slept in the bunk bed for the first time, top bunk, like a champ, no problem. Oscar, for the last four days, has been waking up at 5 a.m., so I think he's going through what's called a two-year-old sleep regression. If you are a sleep person and you know how I can get him to stop this shit, please DM me your advice. I cannot let him cry it out because he shares a room with Rosie and he will wake her up. So it's a problem. So I do have to go in there and get him as soon as he starts stirring. And that's the problem. So we just watch Moana at 5 a.m. every morning and it's killing me. So I'm not going to move him into the bottom bunk until he's done with that shit. What's that's wrong with that. Moana? Does he go back to bed when he watches Moana or no? No, no. We're up for the day at 5, 5.15. Today, 5.25. What a lion. Not for you, because you have the bunk bed situation, but I did see a friend of mine post on her stories like, the baby's waking up too early. I need advice. We're not a cry it out family. And to me, I'm like, then go fuck yourself. Yeah, that I'm sorry. Like, I'm. <laughs> if then, he was alone, I would let him cry it out and maybe I'll move him into another room and like re-sleep train him. But that's just a little bit tough because I just don't have the space in my house. So to I me, have to see. It just bothers me. It's like, then what advice do you want? Yeah. Your baby's awake. Go deal with it if you don't want them crying. Like, what advice do you... It's like people being like, how do you get into stand-up without working hard and doing it all the time? It's like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to just, like, get to the part where I'm headlining clubs. How? What's your advice on that? I, you know? How do I get my baby to sleep, but I don't want to leave them crying and I don't actually want to wake up either? I, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm a cry it out person. I I did sleep training with cry it out. Let's like um, modified where you go in and you say, I'm here, you're safe. So they don't feel like they're abandoned, but you don't touch them. You don't he's, pick them up or touch them. He's probably too young. What I like that I saw on TikTok was like, there's a green light and a red light. Yes. And these kids and I'm gonna can't do that. leave the house till the green light or the room, you know. But our mutual friend just told me she didn't start that until like two and a half. Like he's too young right now. He won't understand it. But when he's a little older, we're absolutely doing that fucking light. But it's not a problem for Rosie because that girl will sleep until seven. When we were on vacation in New York, she was sleeping until 8, 8.30. I was like in heaven because I was going to bed at regular times and she was just like snoozing Lucci all morning. It was amazing. But I did take her to Lion King. She did really love it. But I told Lisa, Lisa got to see her right before. We have a cute picture. Maybe I'll post it on the Instagram page. But I was, my experience was almost ruined by a crazy lady behind me who just kept telling me that I was moving too much. 
I had Rosie on my lap because there were no more boosters and I couldn't see, she couldn't see if I didn't hold her on my lap. She was honestly staying very still. And this woman was like, you keep moving. My daughter can't see anything. And I was like, you already moved your daughter down to the end of the aisle. Like it was, a, it was crazy. She yelled at me twice. And I was like, you need to go talk to an usher because I'm not doing anything wrong. Like I'm not going to deal with this with you. And then she stopped, but it kind of ruined the experience for me. But Lion King is really pretty and, you know, beautifully done. Good for kids. So you hated it. I liked it. I wouldn't go back and be like, oh my God, it's wicked. I'll see it as many times as I can in my lifetime. But like, it's good. You know, it's really good. Also, congrats to SVU getting picked up for two more seasons. Oh, was it two? Two more seasons. We got seasons 25, 26 commitment. So hopefully. I was thinking, I was like, yeah, I I was just thinking like, yeah, wouldn't it be so random if out of nowhere they were just like, yep, this is going to be SVU's last season. It's not going to go, it's not going to stop till Mariska wants it to stop, I'm sure. So. I'm glad we get two more and selfishly, I hope I, you know, get an audition. Jeez. Mm. I just, you know, I flopped what, 10 years ago? Give her another chance. Now, do you have to like be registered as like a local person maybe? But you can be. No, it doesn't matter. If I'm a local hire and I pay my own way, what do they yeah, care? You just fly out there. What we do gotta they make care? it happen. Let's, we gotta make it happen. Let's start. Let's start this. our let's episode. Start. Guys, we've got a good one for you today. So stay right where you are. All right. Today's episode, Inheritance. It is season three, back in the Marishka short hair days, episode eight. Yeah, this episode came out like. November of 2001. So back in the day, a post 9-11 world. Whoa. Yeah, like really close. I mean, I'm a freshman in high school here. This is wild. Yeah. This is wild. You know, my bestie Julia said that people ask her all the time, like if I really actually like SVU or not. And, (laughs) you know, I was staying with her in New York a a while ago and like, she just kept hearing it from my room or like she would come to the living room and it would be on the TV. And she's like, I like that I could really tell people that you're in it, that you are watching. What a (laughs) wild thing to think that we're faking. Like what, you know what I mean? Like that you don't really like it that much, but like you're just doing a podcast where we go so deep into it every week. (laughs) That's what I said. And then she gave an example of someone we know that does do a podcast about something that I don't know if they actually care about. Well, people are sociopaths. That's yeah. true. That's, yeah. not true. That's not totally crazy. Because I reacted the same way you did. I was like, who would do that? And then she had an example <laughs> And then it's ready. like A, B, C, <laughs> yeah. D. Like, we know crazy people. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. But I have been watching, I guess, for decades. Like, it is sick. Like, I remember these when I was younger. And now I remember them now. And I've watched this so many times. And I'm so... I don't, I just remember this episode so vividly and I feel lucky that we finally get to cover it. Yes. We've been waiting. We've been wanting to cover this for a long, long time. So I'm glad we get to finally do it. Yes. This one totally, um, totally like it sticks in my brain. It's one of those ones. Okay. So let's get started. We open on a doctor describing the wounds of this woman and we're going, the camera's going over her face. She's got orbital fractures, knife lacerations. She's wearing a neck brace. So we find out that she is actually alive, but 
despite the best efforts of whoever attacked her. Like she has been very severely beaten. It's hard to watch. And there's, it's like, there's kind of one of those effects where like a camera's taking photos of her wounds and it's like a freeze frame in the episode. And um, that's not something they usually do, but it is season three. So they're still experimenting. It reminded me, of course, of Silence of the Lambs when they're like taking the photos of the body and it's like, you know, and like you, it's like, that was a very the sound of that camera will be in my head forever. But Benson and Stabler are standing over her. Basically, cops that were responding to a burglar alarm found her outside a warehouse in Chinatown. She also has cigarette burns on her arm and she has a tattoo of a purple dragon. The rape kit shows fluids, but then it's the fluids are tainted from bleach. So whoever did this had bleach on them and was like covering it up. So she won't be able to talk tonight, the doctor says. And Benson's like, she's going to have plates in her face for the rest of her life. Like this is a lot of rage for whoever did this. And also the alley where they found her was in full view of the street. So pretty ballsy like person who did this. And Benson and Stabler are chatting and they're like, also what are the chances that the assault of this woman and the burglary are unrelated? And, uh, Benson's like, do you believe in coincidences? And then, dun, 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 dun. Uh, we are into the credits. And so now we're at the crime scene uh, and it's Benson, Stabler, Finn, and Munch, the, the, the major four. And the burglars apparently took $50,000 in high-speed computer processors. So this is like sort of a more upscale robbery. It's not like a smash and grab for drugs or whatever. It's like, where are you going to move computer processors? Do you know where to sell those? It was five masked men. They jumped a janitor, locked him in the utility closet. Nonviolent. I like that. They didn't kill him. Um, And the victim we saw earlier is Helen Chen. She's 19, lives on Hester Street, which is in Chinatown in New York. Stabler shows him a picture of Helen's tattoo and Finn has the lowdown. He's like, women aren't members of Asian gangs. They're just associates through bros and BFs, like um, brothers and boyfriends. But I wonder, like, are there gangs where women are members? Like, are there female members of the mafia? I know there's not female members of motorcycle clubs, really. There's just like... um, what do they call them? I forget what they call them, but there's like women that are part of my motorcycle clubs that they always say in um, in Sons of Anarchy. And there's like the Irish mob. There's all kinds of organized crime and women can play parts, like run drugs, keep secrets, but are they ever like full-fledged members? Have you ever heard of one? No, but and like, I guess I have visions of like maybe some old matriarch that's truly in charge somewhere. Yeah. But no, no. If you're a super masculine organization, you don't respect women. That's a part of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think all gangs like, because they're like women, women aren't members of Asian gangs. Like it's a separate, like it's specific to Asian gangs. I'm like, I think that's all gangs. Like, I don't think that, I don't think, uh, what is the big one that ever, that the Republicans are, MS-13. I don't think they have female members, you know? Like, I don't think that there's, that's a big thing. But I do remember daytime talk shows where there were a lot of like Latina style gangs where you can beat your way into that. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's good. I don't know why you would, I don't know. I don't know why you're asking me like I'm a pro. Like I have the lowdown on gangs. I have no idea. Lisa, (laughs) I'm asking because of all your experience in the gang unit when you worked (laughs) at the Chicago PD growing up. No, I was just wondering if you'd ever heard of it in all of our, uh, all of our travels through true crime and stuff. (laughs) I'm like, I think on Jenny Jones, there were like girls with lip liner and baggy pants that were in the gangs. Yeah, <laughs> and they would call the girls like gangbangers, like, and they're they're hanging out with gangbangers, but I don't think they're ever members. But anyway, 
Munch says something judgy about Helen, about her associating with unsavory characters because of the tattoo, which seems like a weird thing for Munch to do. Munch has a tattoo. And um, Finn knows a guy in gangs who knows all about these tattoos and which gangs go to which tattoos. So they'll go talk to him. Here we are. Munch and Finn are talking to Matt Sue, a detective who tells them about the, that the burns could be about initiation. It could be about number of kills. It could be a punishment. It could mean a lot of things. He's being kind of like, not like glib. He just kind of doesn't know a lot of specific answers for them. He shows them tattoo, the tattoo, and he's like, yeah, that could be Chinese gang. And, um, they're like, that's all you got for us? And he goes, dude, I worked two years undercover in Chinatown and I barely scratched the surface. Like, they, these people don't want to talk to cops. Like, I didn't get a lot of informa like, information, I guess. The computer chip thing, he says, also makes sense if that seems like a Chinese gang. And also they do use rape as punishment. So maybe she broke the rules somehow. So now they're at the hospital. Benson and Stabler are talking to Helen and then her brother Johnny is there. And this guy is um, it's played by Nelson Lee, who, if you remember, was Sergeant Joe Chin in the episode Counselor, It's Chinatown. So he literally, this actor went from playing like a uh, like a kid who might be gang affiliated to like a full sergeant in the gang unit. So a, a long uh, walk from season three to 21 or something. But and we this, covered that episode. It's yeah. the one where Margaret Cho was our guest. So yes. we'd like to one of revisit. Our, one of our earliest ones and, and truly a favorite. Um, Helen is lying on the, in this hospital bed with her jaw wired shut. And Johnny's like, don't make her cry. She starts to choke and they have to snap her jaw back open. And it's like, fuck, like that's horrible. Like she's only making like little uh, noises. And so they pull Johnny aside. They're like, okay, if we can't talk to her, let's talk to the brother. And like she's, as he's talking, she's just grunting and whining through the jaw, like just to be like, shut up, don't say anything to her brother, I guess. And he's like, I don't know why she was in the alley. And they notice that he has a mark on his arm where a tattoo was lasered off. And he's like, I'm not in a gang. I was with the ghost shadows, but I got out. Helen is still in with her boyfriend who's Vietnamese named Dao Tran. And Johnny says that she, he told uh, Dao to stay away from Helen. And Dao said he'd kill Johnny if he got in between them. And he says Dao's the one that robbed the warehouse. So a lot of info we're getting from this brother here. Uh, Stabler suggests that maybe the ghost shadows did the robbery and raped Helen to get back at Johnny for bouncing out of the gang. And he goes, no, the ghost shadows would never do that. They know I'd kill anyone who hurt Helen. So he tells them they can find Dao and his gang is called the Born to Kill Boys at this restaurant on Canal Street. And uh, Born to Kill, I guess he explains, is a reference from Vietnam and it's what American soldiers had written on their helmets. So... Yes, more money for the military. Anyway, at the restaurant, it's Munch, Finn, Liv, and Stabler, and they show up looking for Dow. And immediately there's like a hostess that's like stonewalling, but the guy um, shows up and sees them and starts running into the kitchen. So they chase him into the kitchen. Ice-T grabs his ass and he's like banging his head against a bunch of dead chickens that are hanging on the wall. So very cinematic. And then they've got Dow in interrogation talking to Stabler. And this actor is a guy named Kevin Louie and acting did not work out for him. He has not been in anything really. He did like two or three things. Actually, he was in Sex in the City as intern and then this and then one other thing and that's it. He stopped acting, but he is very hot. And I'm surprised that didn't work out for him. He's a hot man. Dow's like, I haven't seen Helen in a week. And he's like, I didn't rape Helen. I love her. So 
twists. They broke up, but they are still in love. He says, Helen told him that the ghost shadows did the warehouse and that she was the lookout. And he's like, I, he's like, I promise you, Johnny did this. He ordered to have it done. Like maybe he, he obviously didn't rape his own sister, but he ordered it to be done. She didn't want to do the gang shit anymore, but Johnny had a hold on her. And he says, Johnny made Helen give herself the burn marks. And they're like, okay, well, it's your word against his. And he's like, ask Helen. So now they go back to Helen, who now can talk more. Like her, her jaw is still wired shut, but she can still talk like this. And so it's like, but before she couldn't talk at all. So I don't know if some swelling went down or whatever, but she's got full metal heads stabilizer headgear going on. I knew a kid in school who had to walk around in that. We, I knew this kid who was two grades below me in my sister's class and he had to walk around with like full metal sticks, cubes, keeping his head stabilized at all times. I don't know what kind of injury he had, but not a good one. So Helen says her brother was not involved in her attack and neither was Dow. Dow loves me. So we do see there's a cute little love story going on with these two. Maybe a, a little bit of a Sharks versus Jets situation. Um, they mention her brother making her burn her arm and she doesn't really fight them on it. So maybe he did do that. She says she doesn't remember her attacker. She got hit and passed out. Um, and then she's crying at the idea that her brother just left her there to die and may have been the one who ordered the attack. So she tells Benson and Stabler about a house where the ghost shadows keep their scores. When the SVU squad shows up at the house to nab Johnny, they find Detective Sue, our special gang unit guy from earlier, there conducting a full raid. And Munch is like, what the fuck, dude? You knew that tattoo was ghost shadows and you lied about it. And he's like, I couldn't tell you. It's always like, you would have jeopardized a 15-month investigation. That's like, we hear that line all the time. So he's like, I couldn't tell you. And just as you think they're going to get into like a jurisdictional pissing match, which they love to do. Sue goes, you guys want Johnny? He's yours. And they just hand him over to SVU and Stabler like hauls him away. So now we're in interrogation with Johnny and he's like, I didn't do anything. I provide for Helen. I take care of Helen. He's very like late 90s, early aughts, punk guy. He's got like spiky hair, chunky metal necklace, like... That's the whole look with this guy. He already got got on the burglaries. So he could he does- have uh, he could have gone to emo night with Ariana, Sheena, and Katie for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, he would have fit right on in. I want to um, go to emo night. Um, I have gone to one of those nights, or I've gone to a goth night in LA, and the goth night is more the cure than you think. Like it's all very like light music. It's like the Cure and the Smiths. It's not like um. I don't know. I just thought goth music would be more like dark metal and stuff, but it wasn't. Well, no, because that's metal. I know, but that's what I thought goth people listened to. I didn't know that goth music was like- You're a poser. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I went with friends who are self-described goths. I was just a tag along, definitely a poser. Um, I was a drag along. I was a goth drag along. So- It was so funny on Trixie and Katya's podcast. They were talking about goths and Trixie's like, where are all the goths? And Katya goes- at the goth clubs, you moron. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny's already gotten got on the burglary. So he admits that when they went into the warehouse, Helen was fine. She was the lookout. We went in to do the robbery. But when we came out, I didn't see her. I thought she just ran off. But then he finds her, okay? And he goes, she was so beat up. I heard sirens. She looked dead. So he just got the fuck out of there. And stay, uh, Benson's like, so you saved your own ass. And he's like, you know, yeah, basically. I thought she was dead. So then in the middle of interrogation, Cragen pulls them out with the classic, our guy struck again. Bleach man is back, he says. So apparently 30 minutes ago in Chinatown, another victim 
has been attacked, but this time she is dead. Dun, dun. Okay. So now, top of act two, we're at the crime scene. Benson's walking and talking with Lance Reddick, who so sadly died recently. He was an Emmy in the early episodes of the show, and he must have been like an Emmy on episodes where like Tamara Tooney wasn't available because he was on seasons one, two, and three, but she comes in season two and she's on all the time, and then he's just sprinkled in in the rest of two and three. He was in six episodes. This is his last one. And obviously, I love him from Bosch. He was also in Corporate a comedy on uh, Comedy Central and uh, the John Wick movies. And I just love Lance Reddick. And I just wanted to take a second to say I was so sorry to hear that he died. Like he apparently had a heart incident is what did it. And his family said that doesn't make any sense because he had this healthy lifestyle. And it just makes you scared because, you know, my husband's got a grandma who's just sitting around eating cheeseburgers and she's 94. But then other people are, you know healthy, young, and just dropping dead. So you never know with life. Live every day like it's your last. Anyway, the victim in this crime is Asian. Bleach was used to clean it up and she was beaten around the face and head, exactly like Helen's situation. But this girl fought back. She had blood underneath her fingernails. That must have made the perp mad. And so he carved something into her chest. They say it's a slur. I can't make out what it is. And Benson's like, oh, this guy's racist. Could you see what it said? Did it? I watched it twice. I couldn't see if it said anything. Then I thought, is it a slur in like Asian characters? But I, I really couldn't make it out. But Benson comes to the conclusion, okay, this guy's a racist. He's attacking Asian women like for a reason. So these are hate crimes. In Cragen's office, the gang is gathered around, but they don't have much to go on. Huang is there. He's like, the brutality suggests tremendous anger against Asian women. He was probably victimized by Asians at some point. It's like, you're giving him a lot of credit, Huang. He could just hate Asian people. I mean, I feel like there are men that have not been victimized by a certain group and just hate them, such as women. But he, this guy is so confident to believe that he won't get caught but Huang's like, but maybe he wasn't always. I would look into his past. Maybe you'll find smaller acts of aggression like peeping, exposure. He definitely built his way up to this. And Cragen's like, I'll call the bias task force, have them send over anything involving hate crimes against Asian women. This is one of the episodes too where you really see them like chipping away with the detective work because they don't have anything to go on initially and they really get to some shit. So of course- and uh, I'm just it, glad that this brother didn't set up his sister. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. He did just run away when he yes. saw her there dying, but yes. he did not set her up to be attacked. Um, so uh, that is a good that is a good uh, part of it. So, of course, whenever they get sent a bunch of boxes of files, Munch is pissed, right? Munch is there like, God, there's nothing here. Like they always have Munch complaining. Whenever they're fielding calls and tips or whenever they're looking through file boxes, Munch is not having a good time. He's like, there's nothing here but pages of racist scum, nothing specific. They're like, oh, there's this peeping Tom who got away. There's a guy who shoved a woman and uh, yelled a slur, but then disappeared. Like, this guy's invisible. And it's like, it might not all be him. There are racists everywhere. Oh, and they're still waiting on the results from the fingernail blood. So the girl, the last victim that got the, vic the, the, ble the blood on her nails, they're still waiting on serology. So... Huang surprised that this guy was so careless to leave DNA behind when he's like meticulous about the bleach. So his rage may be escalating. Liv finds a complaint where a woman placed an ad in a Chinese newspaper and the guy pulled a utility blade on her. And that is the same thing that cut up the last victim whose name was Lucy Zhang. I thought I said that before. So the girl dropped the complaint the next day. Let's go talk to her. Benson's like, a translator is going to take a long time. And Stabler goes, Huang, do you mind translating? And he goes, you just assume I speak Chinese? And he goes, no, I heard you order takeout once. 
So that's like a little funny moment between them. It's oh, this this not even the first time. I feel like that because wasn't there also an issue with this in the debt episode as well? I I haven't seen that one in a while. The Ming Na Wen. I haven't seen it in a little bit. Why? I feel there's also a thing of like, can you translate? And he's like, how dare you? Yeah. Like I I just feel this isn't the first time where he's like pissed that Stabler at like. I don't know. But yeah. Stabler's all... And I, he's always mad at Stabler. I mean, Stabler is a, like a... He's the prototype of a cop that we would hate. Yes. And he does seem like he would be racist. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Um, but I'm thinking of the thing where it's like wacky African art. And yes. he's like, why does it have to be wacky? And he's like, well, if I'm paying for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, he's not wrong in this case. Huang does speak Chinese. And so they go and they talk to Sonia. He's translating. He explains that she came from China to live with her aunt. She tried to meet people through personal ads in the China Sun newspaper. Her and this guy, who was an engineer from Beijing, wrote back and forth for a while. They were going to have dinner, but she said when she arrived, it was all lies. And they're like, what do you mean it was all lies? And they're like, and she's like, he wasn't Chinese. He was black. As they leave the interview, Stabler's like, how many African-American males are so good at Chinese that they could fool a native speaker? And it's like, well, is that racist? I mean, you can't assume that, you know, whatever. So then Huang goes, well, he might be a student or work at the World Bank. Like he could have a job where he needs to use Chinese. Then he lies about his own race because these women wouldn't show up if they knew what that he was black. And he assumes once they've met, the woman will be so into him, but then her reaction to his race is what sets him off. So that's an interesting like profile of this guy. Like he kind of knows what the reaction is going to be, but then he still almost catfishes people into meeting him. And then it turns out he placed the ad in the paper with a stolen credit card. So now they go and they trace the guy who ha- had his credit card stolen. This is Larry Tang. I actually know this guy. He is a stand-up comedian named Elliot Chang. He's done my shows many times. Wow. And he just... Yeah, this he hasn't done that much acting, but this is one of the roles he did. He's like an HTML coder who the perp stole us the credit card from. And he's like, yeah, I was abroad for a while. I guess I just didn't notice. And there were all these random charges. And so like, he's very clueless, like, you know, just doesn't realize. And then he goes, but whoever did it probably was trying to hide something from their wife. And then he shows them the statement and there's like China girl, a charge to China girl for 200 bucks. And that's a massage parlor that they all, act like they know is not really a massage parlor or massaging is only partially the services that you get. So now we're at the massage parlor. There's like 27 locations in this episode. We're at the massage parlor. They obviously threaten the owner with a raid, as they usually do, and ask about an African-American man with the credit card, Larry Tang, who came in two weeks ago. And he goes, I don't even need to look at my records. I know exactly who you're talking about. He tried to kill one of my girls. And then they bust in on this girl, clearly not giving a massage to a large white man who is very shocked. And then they are separately in a room talking to her. And she's like, yeah, the guy who attacked me was young, in his 20s. There was nothing really special about him. He said he wanted a girlfriend. I guess I laughed at one point and he got mad. He punched me. He pulled out a little army knife. He called me names. And then they, she shows where like, right, like not her shoulder, but not her breasts, like that little area right there. He kind of like upper chest, he cut her really badly. There's like a deep cut there. And um, she can give them a description for a sketch artist. So 
Now the gang is back at the squad, still trying to figure this out. The, the sketch has been spread out and they've got nothing. No one is biting on this sketch. This guy, Huang says, picked a particularly insular culture. And he's like, I know if my sister dated a black guy, my parents would not, they would have strongly objected. And of course, in my mind, that sister is Margaret Cho because she has cast herself as that. And we have agreed to that casting when hopefully they both come back for a future episode. Um, he puts himself in a position to get rejected. And it's like he wants an excuse to get mad, this guy. And then Munch comes in. Finally, there's a hit on the blood. Is an African-American man who was sent up state on multiple rapes and homicides and was released last year. So like, okay, this is our guy. So they go find him at this halfway house. Um, but when they sort of get eyes on him, he is in a wheelchair and the guy taking them up there, taking them to him is like, yeah, this is a halfway house for men with disabilities. So Harold Starnes, this like convicted murderer rapist who's been let out probably for compassionate release has advanced MS. And um, the actor is actually Arthur French. And Lisa, he was in the episode Vulnerable, the Andy Powers episode that we did. Remember when he's like a bad nurse at a nursing home? Yeah, and he, and remember the guy who was like, I saw Klansmen in the hallways. That's this guy. Wow. We liked him. Yeah, we liked him. And sadly, he did pass away in July of 2021, but he was a very well-known television and theater actor, like doing a lot of New York stuff. So um, Arthur French, I think I said was his name. And this guy's like, I ain't helping the cops. And they're like, okay, but your DNA was all over a murder victim. So what's up? And he goes, I can't, he goes, I can't even get out of this chair, boy. And if I could, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be to get with no downtown bitch. <laughs> Neil Bear, I hope you wrote that line. Um, and so they're like, do you got any brothers, cousins who'd want to set you up? And he's like, I don't know. And then Olivia has like a light bulb moment. She goes, do you have any children? And he's like, what are you offering? And she goes, well, you've raped a lot of women. You could have gotten someone pregnant. And he's like, I guess so, lady. So now, top of act three, we're at the lab and a tech is confirming that, and he's talking about a lot of legal DNA stuff. I'm a little bit confused why DNA would pop on someone who's the son unless they were only testing the um, paternal DNA. But it turns out that these guys' blood situations, their alleles or whatever, are so close that they are definitely blood relatives, that this guy could be the son because the DNA is, is super close. So now they have to go back and look at all of Starnes' victims. We've got Martha Shelby, who had a child that fits the timeline after her, her assault, and no father listed. And then Starnes also had a girlfriend at the time named Pamela Tatum, and she had a kid while they were together, and he'd be 23 now. So Finn brings up, like, wouldn't it be wild if the father and the son were both rapists? And Huang chimes in and is like, yeah, I mean, some geneticists think that violence is inherited and, you know, drink, because that's basically the name of the episode. And then Benson says, that theory is ridiculous. It's just another way for people to not take responsibility for their actions. And, you know... We know that in very recent, I don't I don't know if her mom dies in season two or three, but we kind of, she's been trying to figure out like who her mother's rapist was and stuff. So we know this is going to sort of hit for Liv a little bit. So then Cragen goes, let's find the guy. We can discuss the human genome project later. And then Sabler asks Benson if she's all right. And she's like, I'm fine, like brushes it off. But obviously- not fine. So they go talk to Martha Shelby and we find out very quickly that her child was born premature and only lived for two hours. Feels like something that would be a public record and at the very least could have been a phone call. But they needed this scene so that the woman could have the opportunity to say, it was better for me not to have the constant reminder of my rape and to make Liv feel bad about herself. Like we needed this scene. So now Liv seems rattled. Um, like, oh my God, was I like a constant torture for my mother to face me every day and whatever. Outside, 
Stabler's like, are you going to just pretend this isn't bothering you? And she's like, knock it off, Elliot. And he's like, what what Professor Shelby said in there didn't get to you? And she's like, I've been a child of rape for a long time. I've known it my whole life. I've dealt with it. I'm fine. Done. Okay, so she's being very Maloney here and refusing to talk about her feelings. Now- Also, she's allowed to not talk about her feelings at work, Elliot. Yes, yes, very true. So now we're talking to Pamela Tatum. It's uh, Munch and Finn go to talk to Pamela Tatum, who was Starnes' living girlfriend. And she's like, that motherfucker like lived with me for all these years. And you know what I, I got out of it? He raped and killed my best friend in my own building. And it's like, fuck, lady, you have had a life. She's like, I had a son, Michael, but hell no, Harold is not his father. And they're kind of like, yeah, but you slept with a lot of guys. You don't really know who the father is. They're kind of slut shaming her a little bit. Michael walks in and he goes, what's going on? And they're like, well, what's up? Where have you been? And he's like, I've been at my girlfriend's in DC for the last two weeks. Munch is like slut shaming the mom for not knowing who the dad is. And so Finn tells the son, listen, if you're innocent, you got nothing to hide. But she's like, get out of my house. So Michael follows them to the elevator and he's like, guys, like seriously, I didn't do anything. And he's like, but I don't really want to know if I'm Harold's son. Is there a way we could do this without DNA? And they're like, what about a lineup? Will you stand for a lineup? And he's like, yes, of course, because they can ask Helen. Although Helen didn't see her attacker. Oh, they could ask the woman who got attacked at the massage parlor. So at the precinct, Cragen tells them, you know, we don't need to put Michael in the lineup. His alibi cleared. He was seen in D.C. And then Pamela mentioned that Starnes lived in Flatbush before Harlem. We never looked at him for his rapes in Brooklyn. So they go get the files. Now we are at the apartment of Susan Guan. And this uh, she is played by Wai Ching Ho. And she's a very well-known actress. She's in another episode of SVU called Lost Traveler, which we covered early on. She's in Nora from Queens. She was just in a recent episode of OC. And if you've seen Turning Red, a very popular Disney movie starring little girls that turn into red pandas, she's the voice of the grandma. So I thought that was fun because I watched that a couple times with Rosie. But she's got a long IMDb and has been working for a long time. And Benson and Stabler are like, where's your son, Daryl? And she's like, I don't know. Sometimes he doesn't come home. And then they ask her about her rape in 1977 and if she became pregnant as a result. And she's very like skittish at first. Like, is my rapist out here? Like, is he still out there? And she's like, no, he'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And that kind of like makes her, you know, calm down a little bit. And she confirms that he was the father. She got pregnant after her assault and thought maybe something good could come out of it. And then Stabler clocks Daryl in a picture. And they tell her about the blood at the murder scene. And she says, oh no, he's a good boy. And then she immediately changes her tune and she goes, no, it's my fault. I thought my family would accept him because he was mine, but they didn't. My parents told me to get rid of him, that he was half devil. Neighborhood kids taunted him, hurt him. He would cry to me every single day. Stabler's like, why didn't you move away? And she was like, I guess part of me hated him too. Fuck, pretty dark. They're looking through his room and Stabler is like, he doesn't look like the sketch. How come none of them reported that he was half Asian? And we never really get an answer to that. Like none of them said, oh, he's a black man, but he does look half Asian. And they find uh, books on murder in his room and hunting human beings and they find bloody jeans. So this is their guy, basically. They go to the pharmacy where Daryl is a delivery guy and the boss is like, I knew he was up to something. Women kept complaining. He was asking them out. It's like, and yet you kept him employed. <laughs> and so... Liv goes through the computer with a quickness. She's like, ba 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 And she finds Helen and Lucy's mothers are both in the system with their home addresses. So that links him to the existing victims right away. They go out on his delivery route to try to find him. 
Benson clocks him across the street, but he makes them and he starts to run. She chases him and uniformed officers stop Daryl and he has his hands up, but Liv still catches up and slams his ass against the wall. And it's one of those like, "Uh uh-oh, this case is really getting to her kind of moments because that's like violence that she doesn't really need to be partaking in. And then they find a water bottle on him and guess what's in it? Dun-dun, bleach. So this guy's got his bleach water bottle on him and he's ready to attack at any moment. Um, I wanted to point out that the actor playing Daryl Guan is Marcus Scott Chong, and he is the child of an African-American father and a Chinese mother, And but he was adopted by Tommy and Shelby Chong when he was a teen, when he was like, sorry, like 11. So Tommy Chong of Cheech and Chong is this guy's adoptive father. And so- I know, totally, like, I never realized that. So he began um, acting at nine. He's he's worked for a long time. And then he was in The Matrix as this character called Tank. And then he had this big problem with The Matrix where he wanted more money to be in the next Matrix movies and they didn't want to pay him. And he said he had a verbal agreement or whatever. And then basically they, the the Wachowskis, Wachowskis who make those movies like rejected his demands and then he's not in those movies and it kind of ended his career in a little bit of a way. I mean, he hasn't been in a movie since 2013 and he hasn't done any TV since an episode of Burn Notice in 2010. So I think, I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's just like hanging out with his dad smoking weed, but interesting that I, like he... His biological father, it says, was a sports reporter on his on his Wikipedia, but I guess he was adopted by Tommy and Shelby Chong. So he is this exact um, ethnicity of the character. I just thought that was interesting. So now, at the top of Act 4, Alex Cabot is walking in the courthouse halls, and this lady lawyer slides up next to her, and she's representing Daryl Guan. And this attorney's name is Margot Nelson, played by Diane Baker. And I knew I recognized her from somewhere, and that is because she plays Senator Ruth Martin in Silence of the Lambs, Brooke Smith's mom, uh, the one who he goes, by the way, Senator, love your suit. Uh, he's talking to her. So she's the one that's like, please help me find my daughter in Silence of the Lambs. And she's um, a classic actress who I guess has been in a ton of stuff, but she has not acted for a while. I, she's not. She's still alive, but I, I think maybe she's retired. Um, anyway... She's kind of a fancy lawyer. And so, you know, Cabot's like, this is a little bit above your, uh, below your pay grade or whatever. And she's like, oh, I'm defending Daryl Pro Bono. And um, she's asking Alex to keep the death penalty off the table. And Alex is like, girl, his crimes were premeditated. He targeted his victims, like based on their gender, race, like ancestry, all these things that make it a hate crime. So that's an escalation of a sentence right there. And she goes, he's not guilty of murder one. And Alex is like, how do you define guilt? And then Margot gives the dictionary definition of guilt and then claims he's not reasoned by reason of mental disease or defect. And then she goes, my parents made me read the dictionary and walks away. And I was like, I bet you're a lot of fun. (laughs) I think like so cringy, like, I guess if you're young, but reading definitions from the dictionary to start a speech or anything is just, it's bad. No, my siblings did a speech for my wedding and Colin started out going, Webster's Dictionary defines sister as, but it was a joke. Like he stopped. Of course. <laughs> it was um, a funny Colin's little funny little number from Collie Call. It um, is just so bad. Yeah, yeah. But I also totally probably did that in papers when I was like in sixth grade and of thought course. it was very clever. Yeah. <laughs> like, but as an adult, it's bad. 
Yes, yes. Don't do that. If you're about to do a best man speech, a speech at work, something, don't start with a dictionary definition, okay? Unless it's a hilarious joke and you figured out a way to flip it on his head. So anyway, Alex is now outside on the courtroom steps talking to executive ADA Stan Volani. He is a character who's in four episodes of season three only. He's played by Ron Liebman, who also passed away and was married to Jessica Walter, who's my absolute favorite from Arrested Development. They were like this super in love couple because I remember reading about them when she died and they died within 18 months of each other. So I feel like it was one of those things where they couldn't live without each other. Um, And Margot wants to prove that Daryl inherited his mark, his violent tendencies. And Stan is like, well, what about the Fry standard? It has to be generally accepted by the scientific community. And Cabot's like, yeah, but it is kind of generally accepted that violence and genetics are linked. And he goes, linked, not causative. And Cabot's like, I don't know if a jury will be able to distinguish between the two. And she's like, and he's like, well, that's your job to make them see between the two. And she's like, well, I've got Huang giving him a psych exam right now. And he goes, listen, if Margot pulls this off, it's going to be Pandora's box. Everything can be blamed on genes, no one will be responsible for their actions. So not a good precedent to set. So now we get to the interview with Daryl, with between Huang and Daryl, which is a scene I always remember. It's like buried in my brain forever. And he's like, um, Huang goes, do you think you're crazy? And then he's like, well, if I say that, do I get the death penalty or whatever? And then he realizes Huang is Chinese and he goes, you're Chinese, right? And he goes, I am. And he goes, me too. And then he goes, but you're only half, aren't you? And it's like, ouch. But I think you know, Huang knows the buttons to push. So then he calls Huang in uh, Chinese. He calls him something in Chinese. And Huang goes, you think I'm a privileged and spoiled landowner? Isn't that what native Chinese people call American-born Chinese people? But you're American-born too. And he's like, yeah, I would, like, I don't know. He just kind of handles that little diss and moves on. And then he's like, was it hard to grow up in Chinatown? And Daryl's like, no. And he's like, because you speak the language really well. You know the customs probably better than I do. But in Chinatown, you're still an outcast. He goes, it didn't bother me. And then he's like, well, what do you know about your dad? And he's like, enough. He doesn't remember when he found out about um, the rape, but he said he was young and that his grandmother told him. And then he says the Chinese word for black devil. And his grandmother called him that. So Huang's like, well, how do you feel about your father? And he like leans into Huang with like a really creepy smile. And he whispers, I'm nothing like him. And I always just remember that part being like, ugh. And then Huang's like, actually, bro, there's a lot of similarities. You hurt people, you rape them, like father, like son. And then Daryl freaks out, throws a chair at the one-way glass, which we've seen many times. And then Liv is on the other side of the glass. And she looks like very taken aback by this whole turn of his, you know, into violence. So now we're in court and Margo is asking this genetic expert named um, Dr. Coffee uh, <laughs> and <laughs> about violence genes. And he's like, oh, is there a gene for violence? And he goes, there's no exact violence gene, but violent behavior can be linked to several abnormal genes. And they're like, well, you tested Mr. Guan. Does he suffer from these genetic abnormalities? He's like, yes, he does. And his father has the exact same ones. So they're like, well, so would you say he inherited these violent tendencies? Alex objects and says, with all your research, you cannot prove that. The judge agrees, and the judge is Harvey Adkin, who is Judge Alan Ridnor, also dead. A lot of people from this episode are dead, but a lot of people that are important to the SVU universe, this guy has done 13 episodes as this judge. 
So we've seen him before. He's done a lot of like good, like good big episodes we've covered. He says, let's keep it out of the realm of science fiction, Margot, or whatever. And then he explains, this guy explains like when somebody has cystic fibrosis, if the parents are both carriers, the child gets that disease. And if a child inherited the genes that made him violent, he would also have no way to avoid it. And it's possible that Starn's son was born violent as a result of these genetic defects. And Cabot objects and says, how did we get from inherited genes to inherited behavior? And Margot goes, I'll speak slower and use smaller words so you can keep up with us. Like, I thought you were trying to keep the death penalty off the table, bitch. You you can't keep sassing Cabot like this. And so Cabot is like, Dr. Coffey has not proven inherited behavior. Are we just going to make up theories as we go? And Margot's like, no, let's just listen to you, an assistant district attorney over a scientific expert. So these two are like fully just bitch fighting in front of the whole jury. And the judge sustains Alex's um, objection. And then Margot's like, nothing further. And so then Alex gets up and expertly, like, I just like love this next part. She really just like handles it. She's like, okay, so does everyone with this genetic abnormality become a rapist? And he's like, no. She's like, okay, because with cystic fibrosis, which you brought up, if parents are carriers, you get it. That's it. If both parents are carriers, you get it. There's no avoiding it. That's not the case with your argument here. And he goes, well, a causative connection has yet to be established. And that's the whole fucking point. It has to be a causative connection. He also said there's other factors like upbringing. And she's like, oh, interesting that you bring up upbringing. You've never mentioned that before. So she's like, so violence is a combination of many factors, right? And he says, yes. And then she's like, so you actually don't know shit about this and can't speak on this topic at all. And then Margot, <laughs> Margot objects. And the judge goes, counselor. And Alex goes, withdrawn. But she basically pulled the same shit that Margot just did. So I think Alex did a good job of pointing out that these are, this is not a like a legit argument. And then uh, we cut to Margot's closing statement. She's like, genetics aside, did Daryl Guan choose to be the child of rape? Did he choose to be brought up in a community that hated him? Did he choose to have a genetic defect? Now that he's grown up and kind of turned into a monster, we just say too bad. This boy was brought up in hell. His grandma called him the devil, and he was. He was engineered by nature and by nurture to be what he turned out to be, but it's not his fault. And then Cabot's like, it's her turn. And she's like, he had a hard life. That's no excuse for murder. In society, we have to take responsibility for our actions. What is it to be human? It's not just genes. It's not just childhood experiences. He was in complete control. He selected his victims, and he tried to get away with it. Like, he brought bleach. He knew ways to, you know, get away with it. He chose the course of his life and now he has to take responsibility. And then we get a shot of Liv looking very pensive in the gallery of the court. And then we cut to, we don't get a verdict live. Benson knocks on Huang's door to let him know Daryl's guilty on all charges. And Huang goes, this was a tough case for me. Seems like it was tough for you too. So now Liv has to confess her personal life to Huang as well, saying she tells him she was the child of a rape. And so for her, yeah, it was personal. And um, she's like, that's the biggest reason I became a cop and I joined SVU. I used to think it was because I wanted to do good and make a difference, but now I'm questioning it. Like in my job, I have to be aggressive. I have to be violent. I mean, let's think about how she slammed Daryl against a wall, even though he'd already basically been apprehended. So then Huang says, you think that makes you like Daryl? And she goes, I keep trying to convince myself that he had a choice. But if he had this violence inside of him, then did he have a choice? Does anyone? And she's tearing up. And he goes, you don't hurt people. You protect them. You're proof that we do have a choice. And she goes, or maybe I'm just lucky. And then executive producer Dick Wolf, baby. Kind of a wild one, this one. I mean, I do like... 
I don't agree with what Daryl Guan does, but I do feel horrible for a kid that grows up in a culture where no one accepts him and is literally called names and bullied his whole fucking life. He's going to turn into a monster, you know? Yeah. But, but not that you can get away with this you're crime. You're going to jail, bitch. Anyway, that's that. A classic. Classic a classic. SBO. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the crime because I don't think I know. Well, you know about what? It. I actually always get this one and the foot one mixed up all the time. Yes. But they are different. I do too, but they are similar. In my mind, at one point when we were like planning out episodes the a long time ago, <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, the half Asian, half black guy who cuts off women's feet. Like, but yeah. it's different. <laughs> it's a different thing. Um, yeah. The crime, you guys are it's infuriating. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, and we're back. Um, and this crime happens in France. It's uh, Guy Georges. And they've nicknamed him the Beast of the Bastille. And uh, Bastille is a neighborhood in Paris, and that's where most of his crimes took place. So that's what he um, uh, was called, nicknamed, when he was terrorizing Paris. So he was born in France in the 60s, and he's classic, you know, trouble kid in the social care system. And he's a sicko, a fucking sicko. Um, he assaulted 13 women before, even before he went on to this murder spree, where he was eventually convicted of murdering seven women um, between 1991 and 1997. He wa- raped his victims, he tortured them, and murdered them. Not good, okay? And uh, this guy, like in the episode, he was half black. Um, so he was like an Afro-European is his official description. And this caused a lot of problems for him in his life. Um, he was a well-built guy. This was his, uh, his official description is that he is a well-built guy, physically vigorous dude who is tidy, clean, shy, an IQ of 101, which I don't know what that means. Um, and then verbal skills above average. So that's the official description. Yeah, I don't actually know what a high IQ is. I guess because that seems uh, over one hundred and forty. Over one hundred and forty is a genius. One hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty is superior intelligence. But ninety to one hundred and nine, it says normal or average. So I think basically they're just trying to tell you that he's not an idiot. Like, dull. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, chatty Cathy. So um, he was really popular in the Paris squatting scene. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah, he was known as like uh, a suave, cool guy with all the squatters. And he would squash beefs and was just like a cool dude. But everyone was like shocked. And they're like, we would never have suspected this double life. And it's like, what? Squatters don't have a double life? What the fuck are you <laughs> talking about? Like, even if it's a choice, like you don't end up squatting 
without a double life. I'm sorry. You're, but also like, anybody has a double life. I have like three friends whose dad had secret families. I mean, you just like can't say who would have a double life, you know, like anybody. I know. I also really love the new meme circulating that's like um, women, moms would never be able to have a double life or a yes. second family. Yes, we're so fucking busy. Can you imagine? I'll be back in a couple hours. Just going to go be with my second family. Like, never, never. Wait, did I tell you? You know how I do crowd work with dads? And yeah. so in Philly, I was like asking this dad, I'm like, what's the longest time you spend alone with your child? And he said, while she's awake. And so obviously that's not good. And then <laughs> and then the, the answer came out five hours. And, you know, that wasn't good. The reactions were mixed in the crowd. The, the, the place got tense. And then the dad finally went, whatever. I never said I was a good dad. <laughs> and then I heard later that the couple was fighting, that he was rubbing the mom, like the wife's back and she wasn't having it and that it caused a real big issue with oh, the couple. Oh, no, Lisa. It's <laughs> not my problem. But I guess they were drinking tall boys. I don't know what to tell you, but yeah, uh, maybe you should have got, maybe you should have stayed home with the baby that night. Maybe th this really? wasn't the show for you. Maybe this wasn't the show for you, sir. No, I can say my husband stayed home for eight days with our kids by himself, seven days. I mean, with some childcare involved as well, but. The fact that it's even a question to be asked is an issue to me. Yeah. I think that's the point. But, you know, whatever. The rubbing of the back was funny. He was probably proud of himself when he said five hours too. He's probably like, five hours, like the right <laughs> the right amount of time, the time that most dads spend. But I just love that on SVU, if a mom just has a joint, it's like, she, you know, we need to burn her in the stake. Right. Like, like that's, like, that's I played what charades. I love. I played charades and took two hits of weed. Get CPS in here and get her kids away from her. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> um, so on all accounts, back to guy George. <laughs> popular squatter, average IQ, and uh, on all accounts, a psychopath um, who stabbed women with butcher knives. Um, and he was a loner and he would prowl through Paris at night and he would pick women out of a crowd who seemed confident, had energy, and he would feed on their energy. Um, and he would take these powerful, fun women and he would make them submit to his power. And that's what he got Jesus. off got off on. Four psychiatrists studied him after he went into custody and taking him into custody took decades. You guys are going to be so pissed hearing the journey of this guy and his crimes. Get, put, buckle up, buckle up. Whether you're in a car or not, buckle up. So um, one of the psycho uh, psychiatrists, Dr. Henry Gris Grinspan, it's Greenspan, but French. So have fun. No, I don't know. Maybe he's from a different country. It's so funny to me that this guy's name is Henri and then his last name is Grinspan. I mean, there's no way to say that in French. It's not like Grinspan. Like, <laughs> Henri Grinspan. Like, <laughs> it, it is, um, is going to be like horrific crimes. You guys are going to be angry. And then I think you'll giggle a little bit with me trying to pronounce all these people's <laughs> names. Um, and I'll try to be respectful as possible because... Um, you know, the victims uh, suffered. But yes. So what the, what Henry, uh, 
Didn't even do the accent. Okay, so what Henry said was, end quote, what was unbearable for him was the other person's successful life, which reflected his own feelings of frustration and failure. Um, The psychiatrist became obsessed with him, like little fanboys instead of disgust, which also like fully pisses me off. Like they became fascinated by this man who hid his real nature. And it's like, we all fucking do it. Like, I'm just so sick of these people that are like, ooh, this double life, we couldn't believe it. And it's like, yeah, you know, most people just binge eat in the dark. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't, like, I don't, you don't have to stab someone to death because you're sad. Like, I just fucking hate this. Well, they, I think that they look at it like, like people sometimes look at it like it's some kind of spy movie and they're like, how cool that they were able to pull this off. And it's like, no, you were like murdering people in your free time. That's what you were doing. Yeah, or it's like the lying and manipulating. It's like, I guess we're all capable of it and we choose not to. It's not like some impressive, diabolical thing. Like, yeah. oh, fuck. Because we've been talking a lot about this uh, because of Scandaval and like Vanderpump and like, yeah, you're not it's sick. You're just, you're scum. You're fucking scum. And of course, this man, this man had girlfriends the whole time, of course. And one of his girlfriends, Sandrine, recalled that he made love to her on average eight times a day. Okay, Larsa. <laughs> and constantly talked about starting a family in the squatting area. So how did this all happen? Um, he was abandoned by his mother when he was six. So not good. Um, And his father's identity was concealed from him by this illegal maneuver, which uh, the psychiatrists call a genealogical death. So like not knowing your past or parents or anything, they call it a genealogical death, which I guess, you know, is hard for people. Not, Not trivializing it, but... So his mother abandoned him to state custody because she wanted to marry a U.S. serviceman and leave to California, um, where she still lives to this day. Um, And she took her other son with her, Stefan, and he was three years older than his brother and conceived by another American. She was really hot for Americans. The difference between the two boys is Stefan is white and Guy is black. And so both um, were fathered by military dudes. She just like loves military vibes. So Stefan's dad was a white U.S. serviceman and Guy's father was a U.S. military cook stationed at a NATO base. And so her family was down to take Stefan but refused Guy because he was black. So um, very closely tied to the episode. And even during the six years she had Guy, he bounced from foster homes and his mother's house. And his, her the mom's house was in a super stuffy provincial town. And I always think of where uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast lived. So very judgmental. There must be more than this provincial life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's bakers. There's a lot of eggs. There, there's a bookshop. <laughs> This is this is what I'm imagining. Um, There's a beast who lives in a mansion with a bunch of dancing cutlery. Yeah, it's yeah. like that. It's that. Yeah, yeah. And the town, um, there was an intolerable social stigma attached to a mixed race birth, and so he did not have a good upbringing at all. So it was like he was either in this like horrible town where the mom's family hated him, the town hated him, or he was in like bouncing around to foster homes. And then when he was finally given up as a ward of the state, a condition of the abandonment was the the they issued a new birth certificate with false information to prevent him from ever knowing his origins. 
And that's what um, I said earlier about this genealogical death type thing. This practice was eventually banned in 1996 since it's a deprivation of basic rights. His surrogate mother was Jean Morin, and she was Catholic as hell. Um, So she had 12 foster children and seven of her own. Damn. Yeah, so classic Catholic, and he started stealing from his family, you know, classic kind of killer vibes, got a knife and started to hunt and kill animals very early. And then at 16, he attacked two of his foster sisters. He attempted to strangle his adoptive sisters, Rosalind and Christiane, in the 70s. And because of these attacks, he was placed into a state orphanage for adolescents. At 17 in 1979 was his first non-familial assault, the attempted strangulation of a woman, Pascal C., but thank God she was able to escape. And so she lived. And he was arrested by police and then released a week later. Oh, Jesus. One week. Okay. So that was great because then he was able to commit two more attacks. So in May 1980, um, he did two separate attacks on women, Jocelyn S. and Rosalind C. They were both attacked, and Rosalind was stabbed in the fucking face. Oh, my God. Both of them survived, thank God. He was arrested, and he served a year, and then released. So he ran around Paris committing petty crimes, and then finally in 1981, he committed his first rape and with stabbings. It was his neighbor, Natalie C., and he left her for dead. But again, thank God she survived. And then in 1982, he attacked another victim who escaped, Violet K., and she was raped, stabbed, and strangled, but lived. Thank goodness. He was then only sentenced to 18 months in prison. Wait, in what world is that's attempted murder twice and rape? That's fucked up. Paris, what's going on? Like, uh, it's, you know, because we think America is so fucked and it is, but it's everywhere. Men are everywhere. The justice systems, it's everywhere. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? And obviously, I don't love living in like a prison state that's like so racist and fucked, but it's like, what? Yeah, but it's like, which one were we talking about? I, I, I mean, I, I'll never remember it because like, but it was like a guy who- The Scotland yeah, he, one. It was the London, Scotland. Yeah, like rapes. he did one thing and then they put him in for like a year and then another one. And then they, and then it's like, it's like, this is escalation of behavior. It's truly insane. 18 months for rape, strangulation, stabbing, stabbing. leaving women for deaths. Like, what the fuck? Lock this fucker up. He doesn't want to stop. And right when he's released, he goes back. So February 1984, this motherfucker attacks another Pascal. Um, So Pascal N., he rapes this woman, stabs her. She survives, alerts police, and finally, they put him away for 10 years. So, but for me, it's like, he's proven he doesn't want to stop. So like, why? 10 years is still not even enough in my eyes. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. So, so whatever. But he's such a good boy in jail. By the end of his sentence, they allow him for day releases. So I guess in France, you're allowed to like... Go out and hang out for the day and then go back to jail? Yeah. Give me a break. But, so he's allowed to do field trips. And then one time, he just doesn't come back. Why would he come back? So January 24th at night, he didn't return to prison. He just went to Paris, committed a murder. He killed a 19-year-old student, Pascal Escarfel. 
God, every woman in Paris in this time is named Pascal. <laughs> then went back to prison a week later and was like, what's up, guys? And that's it. And they released him April 4th, 1992. He doesn't get tried or added sentencing on for the... I don't know if he was... He wasn't caught. He just like murdered someone and went back. And like, I don't think they tied it to him. Nothing like... Oh but my God. He just... He didn't even do 10 years because you said they got him in 84 and he was out in 92. That's not even 10. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. Just committed a murder, didn't go back to jail on his release, and that's that. So then he assaulted and attacked more people. A woman named Eleanor, a woman named Annie, Elizabeth, Melanie, Valerie, all attacked. And then he went on and murdered for six more years. He took the lives of Catherine Rocher, 27 years old, Elsa Benatti, 22, Agnes... I think that's Nykamp. Agnes Nykamp, 32. Helene Frinking, 27. Megali Serrati, 19. And Estelle Magd, 25. And I apologize if I said any of those names wrong. May all of these women rest in peace. I am so yeah. sorry for the horrific way that you had to die at the hands of these this deranged lunatic and the horrific way that the fucking France dealt with this man. How are they not just like after the first body pops up, revisiting him? Like, I'm so, like, six years of just murdering. Yeah. Wow. Five of the women were killed in their Paris apartments. Four of them around midnight. Two of the other women um, were found raped with their thro uh, throats cut in underground car parks. Now, during the murder spree, he also found time to, like, assault women in the Bastille area for fun as well. So March 27th, 1998, he was finally arrested in Montmartre. And it took forever to get him. Because according to The Guardian, it was sloppy police work. And because rival police squads, like, weren't, weren't working together. So, like, some were working on the murders in the flats, you know, like, in the apartments. And then... Like some were working on the underground car parks and they failed to see the link between the two series of killings, despite several striking similarities, obviously, between all of these killings. And so, the, and then also the police were just very sure that serial killers were a white thing. And so they were just stubborn and they refused to believe like a black person could do it. So wow. they just refused to investigate him as a serial killer. Um, and so that obviously caused time, like cost time and lives. One of the victims, Helene, um, the police didn't even question any of the neighbors until 23 months after she was killed. I'm sure their memories were sharp as tacks two years later. Jesus. And then one of his surviving victims, like um, they for a sketch artist to do a portrait, it wasn't drawn until 28 months after the attack crazy. And so, and then there was just like tons of other accurate descriptions from survivors and witnesses that were straight up ignored. And also let's not forget that they had him under arrest multiple times before this, linking him to all these crimes and then just kept letting him go. Whatever. So after his arrest, he did confess to police following his, his arrest and there was DNA found at four of the crime scenes. For his trial, he was found legally sane and, you know, fit to stand trial. Um, but he was declared a narcissistic so, uh, psychopath, uh, which makes sense <laughs> and proven because even though he confessed and there was DNA, he still pled not guilty to the charges. Very Sandoval. 
And the psychiatrist decided that he saw his victims not as people, only as objects to support his perverse attempts to appropriate their inner qualities. Eventually, he did just admit guilt and was sentenced to life on April 5th, 2001, without the possibility of parole for 22 years. But like, why even the possibility of parole? Yeah, this is a person that literally can't stop killing and doesn't see people as people. And it took 24 years for him to get life of like him committing crimes. It's insane. Wild. He is alive today. He is in jail. He's at the Maison Centrale and Ennisheim or whatever. Um, He says he feels at home in prison and he really thrives there and it is where he belongs. So have fun in there, you fucker. Um, He is too dangerous to be on the outside and he said that himself. He knows he belongs in prison. And he is a true, true narcissist. He does not believe it's his fault. Um, He told one of the psychiatrists, I don't see why I should be the only one to pay for this. And he is referring to the lax way the French prison system let him out, even though they diagnosed him as extremely dangerous nearly 20 years ago. And after they let him go onto the streets is without any treatment, money, or care. So I'm with him there. Like, they, they legit are like, wow, this extremely dangerous psychopath? Get back out there. Oh, day release? Have fun. Yeah. He also, of course, feels resentment for his birthright and how it was stolen from him and that officials obstructed his attempts to find his father. And so that's why he stabbed and murdered and raped young women. Cool. Really unique. And then also, I think he kind of lost it because then he started to claim that he was framed by the French Secret Service because he supposedly stole an official limousine carrying confidential documents. (laughs) Okay. That's the final thing. Netflix does have a documentary. I did not watch it. I turned it on and then I went, you know what? I don't want to watch it. Not today. Not today. Well, if anyone wants to. Yes. If anyone wants to and you're in the headspace, which I was not in, it is called The The Women and the Murderer. So if you would like to watch The Women and the Murderer, it is on Netflix and it is about the beast of Bastille and you can learn more about him. I never heard about this case. Wow, interesting. There's Um, really not that much to read about him. Like I couldn't find that many sources, but um, I'm sure there's tons in French. But yeah, fuck police, ACAB forever, everywhere, all the time. Like go fuck yourselves. I mean, I like to think that nowadays this wouldn't happen, but it probably would. I mean, like... (laughs) You know, like who the the Scotland one that we were talking, or the Scotland Yard, or what was the 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 Ripper? Like when he was doing it, like yeah, they just he was right there, like and then he just slipped through their fingers a million times, and it's like, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's very very different from the U.S. to the U.K. to Paris, France, you know, all over the place. The cops. Well, no, fucking it's up. probably like a personality trait that you want to be a cop that probably makes you the worst too. Yeah, and also I feel like a lot of times, especially when there's like somebody that's now the beast of Bastille and it becomes like a myth and then they all want to get the credit. So like the the warring different ep- like cops are like all trying to win the win the big prize at the end instead of working together and just fucking finding the guy, you know? While like young women are getting fucking murdered. Yeah. What a scary, that must have been like, I mean- 
But that's like around Son of Sam time, right? It's like there's just no cool city in the world to live in where women are not just getting murdered left and right. And it's just like, if you're stabbing in, what do you mean a year? What do you mean a week? Like, what do you mean 10 years? Put them out, lock them up. Lock him up. What I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. releasing people like that that are stabbing women in the face with butcher knives. Like, I, I, I and just strange will never women, understand. Strange women. It's not like these are crimes of passion or something, which I also don't like. I'm not like giving those a pass, but I'm just saying he's out there targeting, you know? Yeah. Fucked up. All right. Well, thanks for doing all that research. And we have a great guest. We had a, we're really excited for you guys to hear this interview. So stay right where you are. Guys, our guest today is an actor who has worked steadily for the last 20 years. He's had recent roles in Claws, one of my faves, and the DC TV series Stargirl. And he was also in the live action version of Mulan, NBD. And you know him also from another episode of SVU called Counselor, It's Chinatown. But on today's episode, you know him as the slippery Johnny Chen. Guys, enjoy our convo with the very talented Nelson Lee. Nelson, welcome. This Thank you so much. No, no, not at all. This is so much fun. It's funny because I had to actually go back and watch it because I was like, it's been forever. <laughs> You're a baby. I am an actual <laughs> <know>. baby. <laughs> With your gelled up spiky hair and like gothic that, silver it's, bead it's, necklace. Yeah, that thing, that choker I had on was like amazing. I wish it was mine, but it was not. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's also so hard sometimes to get people from those older episodes and like to remember sure. stuff. So thanks for watching it too. And- of course, of course. No, I was kind of interested. And we just saw you <laughs> so recently in the Counselor's Chinatown episode. So I was like, that's what I, I was looking yeah, for yeah, yeah. in this episode. And I was like, oh my God, is that him? Because you just look so young. Like, yeah. You're like a little baby. I know. Yeah, I graduated to a detective. That's when you know you're older. (laughs) You stopped being in a gang. You went to the police academy. Wow. Yeah, I went clean, stabler. Like, they they put me on the right track. Huge, good. Huge. (laughs) But the Dick Wolf universe were your, like, first official jobs, yeah? As an actor in New York? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I always think, and I can't remember, but I almost think that Oz was my first job. Oh. But— but I think, but it's it's always listed as the first before, but I honestly cannot remember, but they came at the same kind of time. And the only reason I think it was, Oz was first, because I remember being on Law & Order like, hey, I just saw you. Because oh. he was also, of course, Chris Maloney was also on Oz. I mean, that was when, back in the day when everyone in New York was like in everything. Yeah. Uh, so. We hear he's... um like a serious, maybe prickly guy. Did he remember you? Was he like, oh, Uh, yay. Actually, it's funny. He did. And he was super kind. And he was super kind. He was always very, and you know, because I was literally straight out of school. And I, there's a scene, right? And it's funny because I watch Inheritance. I'm like, but, (laughs) and it's, you know, it's funny. But I I remember having like a little bit of problems. I remember he was just like, hey, it's just after lunch. Don't worry about it. And he was like super cool, and it was it totally relaxed me. And, oh, that's you know, nice. Yeah, very nice and unnecessary for him to do, but he did. What did you do? You remember what you were doing? I think I was just really nervous. You know, it's like my, you know, it's honestly, I just, I don't think I even realized. Then I remember when I was working on Oz, I had no concept of editing, and so I was constantly like on because I didn't know when I wasn't on camera that I wasn't being filmed. And so I was just like, and everyone's coming like, you're doing such a good job. Yeah. Like, 
thank you. And I just didn't have any clue about editing or angles or anything. So even by that point, I was still nervous about, you know, when action was called and when to do stuff. So yeah, it was, it was nice from the calm my nerves. You were holding your own. I mean, you were being interrogated by like Mershka uh, Hargitay yeah. and Christopher Maloney. Oh, yeah, I know. They, they're badasses. And it's funny when I was watching, I was like, oh, yeah, it's good. I mean, for a kid, it's not bad. <laughs> did you go to school for theater? Were you a theater I kid did. always? Yeah, I did. I went to Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. And yeah, so when I popped out, it was I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones that kind of went right to work, so. Wow. In the Dick Wolf universe. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just doesn't happen these days. You know, I was like, you know, I was single card build and guest star. I was like, I don't even know what those things meant back then. But I was like, cool. You just thought yeah. that that's how it always was. But yeah. Well, <laughs> Very I'm sure you lucky. were like, also like, fuck yeah, free snacks. Oh, and yeah. Like, oh, yeah. my God. I was like, because well, at first you're like, oh, that's for someone else. Like, well, I could have this. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I'll have one. And you realize you're going to have all of it. Love it. <laughs> Did you gel your hair like that in your personal life? Or was that very oh, much just your character? Absolutely. Like oh, I really? showed, oh my God. Yeah. Like that was my headshot. Like that's basically like me and a headshot. Like I wish I had one. I yes. Oh like, my God. It. But it's literally like, yeah. No, that was my hair. It was like Dragon Ball Z. It was like very. So hair yeah. and makeup no, was I like, came. don't even do anything. Just yeah, I was come done. in I how arrived you and they're like, you're good. Yeah, they're like, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it was was it intense to shoot with your co-star who was like in that metal thing and with her jaw shut and stuff? Well, the hard thing is with that, you can't really talk to them. So you're like, you're yeah. doing great. Yeah. <laughs> that scene where she just keeps going, ah, and you're like, I know, I know. Just talking. You're like, you're, I know, oh just talking God. over. <laughs> so do you remember any like other, like, do you remember any fun little tidbits from like being on set? from that first episode when you did Inheritance? I mean, you know, it's funny. It's like, there's a scene and I forgot, like, I, I, in my memory, I only had like that one scene with my sister. No, but then the they hospital. bring you in and they slam you down yeah. in interrogation. Well, yeah. And that's, and that's the best part because I forgot about that because I remember I was, you know, being, I was handcuffed from behind and I kept, we kept doing this take where this, this extra was pushing me into the cop car. Right. And he was pushing me really hard. And I have no way to stop myself. And I'm letting him because I'm like, okay, game on. This is, this is acting and we're going to do this. And I was kind of getting injured. And Ice T, again, nicest guy. And, you know, it's funny. I worked with him recently again, but he's kind of like, hey, take it easy. You heard him. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. he totally came in and like told the guy, like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you okay? I was like, I mean, yeah, you could go a little lighter, maybe. I was like, maybe, maybe let me lead you. I was oh like, I'll God. pretend to be thrown. But it was like, because I was full on getting this, just like slammed take after take. And I was like, this is acting. I can take it. But yeah, no. Hell yeah, <laughs> for Ice T getting in there. Yeah. Ice T is the nicest, nicest dude. Like, even, even now, 23 seasons later, he was exactly like the same chill dude. Well, so when you came back, did did like Mersh, did people remember? You know what? I don't think so. And I okay. never was going to be like, hey, remember me 23 seasons ago? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you forget me? <laughs> yeah, no. You know, I was tempted to. And also, I think I was there for their like 20th. Yeah, I believe it was like their 20th um, season like celebration. So that I was literally on, Ooh. we were doing a scene, all of us. Uh, it was like me, Mariska, and everyone basically, and we're doing a thing about what we were going to do. And they're all talking about the party later. I was like, 
Sounds fun, but I didn't get invited, but it's okay. I was like, <laughs> that would be great. What time is it? <laughs> I was like, I'm like so free tonight, but no, they didn't invite me. It's okay. <laughs> we covered that episode. We had Margaret Cho on for- Oh, yes. She was so, she talked about, I mean, look, the great thing about the show, it's covered some horrific things, but luckily I think that kind of goes the other way with the people. You have fantastic actors and people and and she was one of them. She was so nice. And, you know, I was kind of like, oh, my God, it's Margaret Cho. Yeah. You know, that table read was pretty uh, intimidating, but yeah. Yeah, we but couldn't believe lovely. when we got her on the podcast. We love her so much. Um, well, it was even wilder because we were really new at the time and she contacted us. It was oh, like, wow. Yeah. She knew or like our boss. I don't know. She was like, I listened. Get me on it. And so it was an extra so special, exciting That's so cool. moment for us. That's amazing. But she called uh, Peter Scanavino a what um, a Scandinavian prince. Oh, yeah. Is that how you would describe him? Or what uh, you know, would you use? I absolutely wouldn't. Here's a little funny tidbit about Peter. I went to school with Peter and I also bartended with Peter. Oh my gosh. So it's... So it's it's so funny because, and I'll be honest, I kind of forgot. And I got to the table read and Peter's like, hey, Nelson. I was like, hey. And I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> I was like, because it, it literally took me a moment because, you know, he looks a little different. Yeah. And, you know, he's got his, he's coming straight from set. And so he's got his like nice suit on. And so I was like, hey, nice to meet you. He's like, no, Nelson, it's me. We, we The Academy, B-Bar. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, yes. I was Wait, like, oh, and, where did you guys bartend together? Yeah. At the B bar on, on uh, Bowery and Third. Yes. Basically. yes. I went there yes. all the I, we, time. I, I bet you did. Everyone did. Yeah. I worked there for years. For That's the best too drink. Many years. What are the drinks you make? What I mean, that, that that was luckily for me back in the day when mixology was not a thing. <laughs> and I was taught by very by a very mean uh, Scandinavian, funny enough, Swedish a bartender. She taught me just like anyone asked for anything. He's like, no, next. I can give you a shot. <laughs> no, get out of here. Next. Oh, so wow. that's that was my style of New York bartending. So wow. anything with a stir, I did not do. So I escaped You that. just like, wow, yeah. shots. I made Cosmos. I made Cosmos was the most ex- extravagant because you had to in New York at that time. Right. And apple teenies, apple teenies, and yeah. <laughs> I remember apple teeny time. I remember. I made a good apple teeny. Don't don't <laughs> shiver. I, I actually used to make some for myself back behind the bar. You can only have like <laughs> one. It's so much sugar. Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's pretty sweet. I'm just sh- shivering because freshman year I drank too much apple pucker and had a big oh. puking incident. So well, I just do it. that I just that, don't that fuck will, with that yeah, flavor no, profile. No, yeah, no, that'll that do, that'll do it. Flavor profile. <laughs> But yes, back to back to Peter being a prince. He is indeed a prince. He is such a nice guy. I am so happy that he, you know, was on that show and has been such an integral part of it. So yeah. I can't I just am still excited for you guys bartending together. You guys should oh, yeah. write a script. I'm, no, I, it's, I'm upset. Yeah, like was it like cocktail where you guys throwing each other bottles and stuff? <laughs> it was not nearly that exciting. It was us looking angry and sad behind a bar wearing a Guayavera shirt because we all were forced to wear these shirts. And, you know, just like sweating outside because they had the outdoor patio and it'd just be like, you know, New York summer. Yes. And be like gushing I seriously sweat. wonder if either of you has ever served me a drink one of these, I, like back I in the day. I bet you I have. Oh, I bet you I have. I can't believe yeah. it. Did you, once you started acting, did you still have to bartend or was it like, 
Well, what I did was just a lovely dance of quitting and coming back every time of like, I'm done. I'm going to the big time. And then like a year later, like, hey, guys. I need to pay my rent. A, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I take back what I said. Luckily, I never left badly. So it was always just like I came back and forth. But yes, uh, but it's nice to finally not. Yeah, I bet. Was it like, um, did you notice like a big shift when you went from like, when you came back in season 21? Were you like, oh, it's kind of the same old around here? Or was it like very different? I mean, I guess it's only different because it's different for me as an actor coming back. You know, it's so, it was, it was nice, but it's still the same kind of thing. And everyone's having, they're having a ton of fun. So maybe, you know, it was, it's a lot, maybe a little looser, but they're all still doing their thing because they've done it for so long. It's just like, having fun and then boom, serious and really good. So, you know, it's kind of like, I remember when I did an episode with Jerry Orbach, uh, bless him. Uh, It's one of the best and greatest. And he was literally asleep between takes, but never like not dull at all. He'd like action, awake and sharp. Oh my God. Sharp, sharp, sharp. Like that's just like this a pro being good. And when you, you know, that train your body to take micro naps in between takes. Oh Oh my God. It was amazing. I was like, is he asleep? (laughs) He's he's full on asleep. And then actually, he was like, oh wow, he is back. (laughs) They really used your character in like a cool way in in season 21. I thought that they'd have you back. Like I thought there'd be like more of you. I thought you'd be back. Like I was hoping to. It seemed like a character that they were like, oh, okay, this guy's in charge of this big operation. Like we're going to be seeing him. And yeah, I, I kind of was hoping to be brought back, so you never know. You but never yeah. know. No, trust me, especially when organized crime happened. I was like, hey, everyone, how about Detective Chen? <laughs> you know? Yeah, let's get some help with... I mean, honestly, that would be a cool next step because they've already done Albanians. Army Albanians, and then they <laughs> just did... Um, They've done a bunch of other stuff and I feel like it would be cool because your expertise is like Chinatown and if they got into like right. some of the Asian gangs and, yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. I think that would be cool. Because I had a friend that was just on Organized Crime and he was talking about uh, the next stuff being Asian. So I'm Ooh, like, we're hopeful. But, okay. Yeah. Let's get a call. You're a Dick Wolf universe character. Let's get you in yeah, there. Yeah, I know. I would <laughs> love that. It would be made. Look, it would be a dream just to be in New York and be in those shows. They're always so much fun and everyone's so lovely. Yeah. So. Operation Dragon Slay. Exactly. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely called that. <laughs> um, and then we have like, we call them bingo moments, like epic kind of SVU moments. And you got to do one, which is like arrest someone in a public thing. Yes. Where, with Kelly Giddish. Was that as oh my fun God, to film was... as it is for us to like watch as a viewer? It was so much fun. Because also, you know, Kelly's amazing too. Like everyone's so lovely. Like Kelly's lovely. Like you just And we're just <laughs> being able to be over there and like, you know, let the old man speak. And then we go and it's always fun to do that fast like cop walk with a badge and screaming out names, <laughs> you know, as you go up. You're under arrest. Like it's it's awesome. It never gets and old. And she That's was on our podcast too. The woman who plays the, um, oh, the yes. head, like madam, yes, yes. was like the rich lady. Yes. Yeah. She was great. Yeah, she was lovely. Well, and Kelly Giddish. Yes, and Kelly. Oh, yes. We We've, we're collecting everyone from that episode. We just need Scanavino. Um, you got to get Peter. <laughs> Do you go back and forth between playing like really, really bad guys and like really, really good guys, like cops? And then, well, not like all cops are good, it's, but it's, you know what I'm saying in the yeah, TV world. Sure. Because like no, I'm seeing you, know, you were I, in Claws, one of my favorite shows, and you're like a really bad guy in that, right? I was very You're bad. You're a murdering in man in that, I remember. Yeah, yeah. My entrance is I sliced the throat of a, a regular on the yeah. show and I hadn't watched it. Oh, so yes. everyone, they, I, and I remember everyone was like, 
saying goodbye. I was like, did I just do something really bad? I was like, <laughs> I, I feel, I was like, hi, I'm sorry. It's like, hello, and you're dead. Oh my <laughs> like God. I literally walk yeah. up behind her and slice her throat as my entrance. That show so, yeah. is so wild. That's of course how they would give you an entrance. Like it's such a wild, yeah. but, but yeah. So what do you, it feels, do you feel like you do mostly extremes, like good guy action or, or like bad guy, like underground? I think I'm still, I'm starting to like tick a little closer to good guys sometimes, but I'm still very much of the bad guy kind okay. of world, you know, but just differing, you know, differing kind of shades of it. But yeah, it, it is nice every time I get to, you know, when you get to like uh, on uh, Chinatown, that was great to be a detective and to be on the right side. But yeah. But I definitely am not, you know, I sometimes, I've read for many a dad role now. You know, I'm, I'm, in, my, I'm in my, I'm getting there in my 40s and, and my 47. And, you know, it's, I could have easily have kids, but it's still funny. They're always like, no, we don't see you as a dad. <laughs> <laughs> we well, see we'll let you kill the dad. Throats. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Is your long hair a personal decision or for film, TV, like... Well, TV. you know, yeah, it's it's actually gone through many, like, COVID happened, and I'd done, I'd done Mulan right before, and I'd kind of been growing it since then, and then COVID hit, and I was like, it's fine, oh yeah, and also I was doing the show um, called Stargirl, where I was, like, basically a superhero, but in a hood all the time, so it didn't matter how long my hair was, so I was just kind of going with it, and then COVID came, and it just, like, kind of kept growing, and by the end, there was, like, I don't know if you've seen a picture. There's a picture of me. Like, I did better things. That was oh, a we good have work. questions. That's oh, one yeah. of our so, favorite shows. Oh, really? So that was a fun... That was super fun. Some, she's awesome. Uh, but, uh, but yes, that was like past my shoulder. And after that episode, I was like, cut this off. So I've been short, <laughs> slowly coming back up. And I think I've been on a couple shows now, so I've had to keep it. But I think after the matching goes, I might cut it back to actually... The length of uh, on Law and Order. I liked that length when I was a detective. It wasn't too in yeah. my way, but it was just long enough that it was like kind of cool. Totally. Do you feel like having your long hair helped you secure your better things part as a oh absolutely? I think absolutely. Expert. Yeah, that that <laughs> hair was dumb. Like that hair was stupid long. And yes, sometimes like you know I, I got a role on Madam Secretary once because I had a shaved head from another thing, and I literally for the audition I had like a red tablecloth. And I remember saying to my friends like, "Watch me book this right now." And I was like, "Put on this like tablecloth because I had a shaved head." I was like, "Boom." It's just, yeah. <laughs> when you make it, when you make it that easy for them, it's, <laughs> they're like, there he is. Damn. For Mulan, in yes. the cartoon, he's like a goofy <laughs> old man. You're yes. like an attractive young man. So oh, you. did you like crush the audition and they changed it? They wanted you, like what, how did, what I mean, I was think that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Nikki always had her mind something very different. Obviously, okay, of course, yeah. everyone's like, where's Mooshu? I'm like, he ain't here. But, <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, so even that, it was very different. Yeah. And I think with Jet, they just, you know, they just wanted something different. But uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, very different. So I know some people were pretty disappointed that they didn't have certain things, especially Mooshu. But <laughs> no, it was a different vibe. But were you pumped to be in that? Oh my god! Yeah, it was. It was like obviously the biggest thing. It was like a three hundred million dollar movie, and I like you know it was. I'd never been on sets like that. You know, we we're all in New Zealand. It was amazing. It's beautiful. You're on these sets that they're talk about building. Like they built everything, so it's all real. It's all practical. So those thrones, those palaces are all real. So they built that stuff, and it was. It's amazing. You're standing on these huge, 
sets and you have this like massive, you know, uh, crane camera coming up, sweeping around and they're on the God mic. Just like, actually it's, it's pretty, it's, it's magical. And it's like, you're like, Ooh, boy, oh my God. Yeah. I got to remind myself that, you know, this is, this is happening, but yeah. yeah. So different. New Zealand a while. Yeah. It was like a few months. So a lot of those guys were there for like six. So, uh, but it was, and, and talk about a beautiful place. New Zealand is epic and just like, so awesome. Yeah. So, exactly. You know, especially you go South Island, you're like, oh my God, it's like you just see like the Lord of the Rings stuff. And it's, yeah, it's so cool. It's like prehistoric without any bugs. Like, that's the cool, like, <laughs> there are no, it's not like Australia where everything's trying to kill you. Yeah. It's just like, no scorpions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no. It's just like, it's like little bird, like flightless birds walking or waddling around. That's like as dangerous as it gets. I love that. Do you have like stuff coming up that you are excited about or what's, uh, I mean, obviously yeah, IMDb is only a, so accurate. I never know what people are really up to. Yeah, of course. There's a, so there's a couple of things. Uh, right now I'm on a show on ABC called Company You Keep. Um, I just have a small little arc on that. And then I have another show on Freeform Disney that's called Good Trouble. Oh, and yeah. Then and so I'm I'm a new character in that, uh, this, this new season coming out. Um, and I've got a couple of things coming out and I think there's an amazing film I did last year that should hopefully be coming out in May, uh, that Alex Garland did and with, uh, Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons and, uh, and Wagner Omora, like huge, amazing cast, uh, called Civil War. It's, it was like the most intense and amazing, uh, acting job I've ever is had. Is it about and, the and Civil War or is it about a Civil War? I can't tell oh, you. you can't any. even I, say. I, I, yes. It literally yeah. IMDb but it is says, called, but it is. IMDb says plot is under wraps. Yes. Oh. So is. got it. So it, it, the name is Civil War. Got it. But that is a, and then there's another show that I can't talk about either, but that's I'm very excited about. But that I'm not sure when that releases. Oh my gosh. Booked and blessed, baby. Cool. Exciting. Yeah. Very, very exciting. Yeah. No, it's very, I'm very, very lucky. Yeah. So it's anytime I get to, you know, work is always well, it's not great. just luck because it seems like you got booked right out of school and then have been consistently yeah. working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it's been a really nice ride. And look, there's always ups and downs and there's some projects you're like, Ugh. but yeah. you know, but then you get the better ones and you're like, this is great. You know, you gotta you gotta pay your dues. I loved when you called him slippery in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> that was Casey. I got to give that to Casey. Casey scripted that slippery for me. That he is a slippery amazing. little. He is a slippery little two uh, thousands boy. He reminds me of like, like he looks like in that episode. He looks like he would be one of the guys from No Doubt when they first like yes. broke onto the scene. You know, the chunky necklace, the spiky hair. Emo night, um, baby. Um, I'm obsessed with Nelson in many ways. He was fun to chat yeah. with. Such a like, just like a light person. Like just so nice and like so smiling and just life. like, wow, I'm so happy I have had I've all these opportunities. And I can't believe that like him and Carisi like definitely served me at B-Bar one time. Like I went there all the time when I was in the page program and I probably ordered like one mixed drink because I was so poor, but I'm sure they gave it to me one time. So what did we learn Let's not be racist because if someone is genetically predisposed to violence, you're really just making it worse. Um, and that's then, the only reason. <laughs> yeah, you're making it worse. Just stop. No. Um, and also, yeah, just don't be racist. I feel like is a central theme of our podcast. Um, yeah, but- it's like so fucked to see like a baby child and not be cured of racism. Like, I don't get it. 
Yeah. I really don't understand how you keep being so hateful towards children. A, ch- a kid, yeah. Because adults, Ugh. they're annoying, of course. And then you can find any reason to be hateful. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like once you're an adult, like racism sucks, but yeah, okay. But to look into like a little child and be like, ah, I'm yeah. only taking this, fuck this kid. Like, what the fuck? What it's the so f- crazy. Yeah. So yeah. sad. I also learned getting your jaw wired shut. Nightmare. And you don't Oof. want that. You don't want I that. I don't want that either. Also, I mean, I guess Johnny Chen wasn't the, the criminal, but he did leave his sister. Don't leave your siblings behind. Yeah. Yeah. No sibling left behind. You got to scoop her up. Although, I don't know, maybe she had a spinal injury and she ended up, she did have a spinal injury. Her fucking head was in like headgear. So maybe so you it was sit, better he didn't move her. You sit next to her and then you per- you, you get and your you acting go down, skills. And you go down for the robbery. No, you know, you do the acting skills and you go, I don't know what happened. My sister. You don't have to be in, in the robbery. Oh, okay. You didn't learn, you didn't take improv with your crime troupe? You know what I mean? I just think I just think SVU is going to see right through that, especially when they see this guy's an, a known gang affiliated man, but with his you know, spiky necklace, yeah, with his, yeah, and the laser tattoo thing. Why was he get? That was a weird thing too. Why was he getting the, the tattoo lasered off? Because I don't think he obvious. wanted to be in the gang. But his gang just did the robbery. I think it's hard to leave a gang. Okay, yeah, yeah I don't think you just also, get to leave. We learn we need more gangs where women are members because I feel like they would be better organized, less violent. Women led gangs, yeah. Women led gangs. Let's look into it. Anyway, we can move on. What would Sister Peg do for this week? <laughs> that is our uh, weekly segment where we direct you to an organization. Wait, no, we learned other things. F- ACAB France. How about that? Oh yeah. Fuck Paris. I'm fuck you. you. You're you're mad at us because we're annoying Americans wearing sneakers. Well, fuck you for not putting rapist stabbers. Yeah, you guys just let a guy murder for twenty years and gave him like slaps on the wrist for rape. Jesus. Ah, oh, he just stabbed a woman in the face. Give him ten months. Insane. Truly. Continue. Continue. Okay. So what would Sister Peg do? Our weekly segment where we point you to an article, an organization, a podcast episode, something to give you more info uh, about an issue or a topic we talked on today uh, in today's episode. And I just wanted to direct you guys this week to embracerace.org. Embracerace.org's mission is to raise a generation of children who are thoughtful, informed, and brave about race. And there is a whole section titled Things to Know If You Love a Multiracial Child. So I just thought a lot of the this episode involved like this family's inability to accept this um, child. And I thought this would be an interesting resource for people who have multiracial children in their life. I think there's just some things we can't understand if you're not straddling the line of two cultures the way a lot of multiracial children are. So there are articles, audio stories, firsthand experiences from people raising multiracial children. There's a lot of info on this site and their resources help educate on using proper terminology, tackling ethno-racial identity, and so much more. So check out embracerace.org. And as usual, that will be saved on the day this episode comes out in highlight on our Instagram page, that's messed up pod in a highlight called WWSPD2. Amazing. Thank you so much. And next week, we will be doing the episode Inconceivable, Season 9, Episode 14. We will see you there. 
Hulu, Peacock, go rate us, review us on, you know, the Apple podcasts or whatnot. See us live where you see us. Follow us somewhere. I don't know. We love you all. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun! Dun, dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.